0: Ah.
1: Hey, folks. Everybody loves Chalupas, etc. Uh, this is Rish Outfield, and you are listening to the Rish Cast. This is sort of a special episode, because according to the calendar, this is episode 200 of 205. Does it say that on the calendar? It's a special calendar. I had to pay extra
0: mine just says may 21st (laughs) of course this won't come out until when like uh december yes
1: it depends on how much energy i have to edit it uh the voice you are hearing in the background (laughs) is uh it's that devil on my shoulder that tells me to steal things tells me to use racial slurs tells me to reference hitler in my blog a lot that is big (laughs) anklovich of the ankle cast that's right the fabled ankle cast podcast
0: and the uh, sorry I jumped my intro there I'm, I'm not good at waiting <laughs> to be uh, called on I have to admit
1: I know the answer, teacher me 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 call on me I can't remember why I asked you to do this except for that it prevented me from recording the 200th episode for almost a month. Can you remember what the background on that was?
0: I, I think it was just that it was a 200th episode, so you wanted to add some dog and pony show action to the show. You didn't want to just have the same mold, same mold. So, you know, you figured you'd go way out and get a celebrity guest. <laughs> right.
1: And beggars can't be choosers when it comes to celebrities, kids, so... Uh, we used to do think, this.
0: Think early seasons of Dancing with the Stars when the word "stars" really uh, was was kind of a misnomer.
1: Is that show still on?
0: I think so. Yeah, they've they've graduated up to the big stars like you know, Snooky <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, like Sean Spicer and stuff. You know, that, that's now they're they're they've really hit the stratosphere with the stars. So. It's 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 a much bigger deal than it was back in the day.
1: How many episodes of Dancing with the Stars would
0: you say you have seen? I've seen portions of maybe 10 to 20, but I don't know that I've ever sat through an entire episode. It's not really my thing, but my family does like it. I think my wife watches it. I try to put my foot down, but they all just laugh at me whenever I try something like that. And they go, ha, <laughs> You're not important around here. Shut up and go back into your little room. So it doesn't work out. Have I completely derailed this show?
1: <laughs> oh, I, I think that, that presupposes it had rails, that it was on to begin with. <laughs> the You know, the, there are people that we, we used to compare ourselves to radio, talk radio personalities, I guess, a lot. Uh The people that would get on, you know, every single day and they had a stretch of time that they just had to fill. And so they, you know, most of the time they'd just be lazy and either say, okay, let's see what's in the news today. Or they just open it up to telephone calls. And that fills the time. We were doing it every single week for years where we would get together one week and we would record a story we'd get together the next week and we'd record an episode about that story and uh it started getting more spread out when we had other people that would volunteer to help us with stories and then we had that gets my goat, which was we were reviewing a movie or so I mean I don't know how many times we sat in your little orange car in the parking lot of (laughs) what was that store called in the Kohl's parking lot
0: yeah it was the Kohl's parking lot
1: and I I don't remember exactly why we would go there except for in in my mind it seems like it was a new enough parking lot it didn't have lights is that what it was
0: no it was just because it was closed at the time that we would record stuff so there'd be nobody around but it was still kind of near everything so it wasn't like we were in the middle of nowhere or something it was quieter there and we could generally get away with having the windows down in the summer and stuff like that. It's just a good quiet spot instead of like Target, when we would go to Target and there was that guy that would come oh, with the freaking blower.
1: Right. He was my enemy. And I...
0: run that thing in the background. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, once you moved away, it was definitely harder to do this. I mean, we're not even on the same time zone anymore. And so... It is actually tomorrow for you and today for me or yesterday. That
0: is true. My calendar, as I said earlier, says 21st of May, but yours still says the 20th.
1: It does Isn't that weird? it is <laughs> And it says December for the people I'm
0: coming to you from the future. <laughs> the future is important to all of us because it is where you and I will spend the, the rest, rest of our, our lives, lives.
1: <laughs> So I I do have a story that I'm presenting today and I don't know, this, this is one that we had talked about running on the Doonstief years ago. And I I don't know if you remember that conversation, but I, I I think we were kicking around, you know, uh, probably around 2017, we were kicking around the end of the Doonstief because you were going away. And who knew if we would be able to continue to, podcast, uh, you know, even how that would work. And we talked about like what to do for our last episode. And I think I mentioned to you at one point that, well, you know, if when we do get to those last episodes, maybe the last story of mine that we run on the show, uh, will be dying is easy. And I said, do you remember that story? And you said, oh yeah, yeah, I totally remember that story. I I suppose that was back in the days when as soon as I'd finish a story, I would send it to you. I don't know otherwise how you would have read it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, those were the days. (laughs) 2017 wasn't those days, though. That story had been around for a while. I don't remember when it was that you actually wrote it. But yeah, I do. I do remember when you would send me uh, stories much more often to actually read. That was fun times. Now I have to go and buy them off of Amazon. I mean, geez, what good is uh, being co-host with somebody? If it doesn't get you any kind of privileges or freebies. But yeah, I do. I do remember that story well. I, I kind of remember that conversation. I think you said, maybe we should do uh, Dying is Easy. And I think I said, not only no, but hell no. And I think that was when you first came up with the idea of running it on the Rish Outcast instead.
1: <laughs> Weird. I I don't remember ever considering running it on the, the Rish Outcast. I <laughs> I just once I got to like the one hundred ninety fourth episode, one hundred ninety fifth episode. I I saw that the two hundredth was coming, and I thought, oh, I, I should do something special for that. In the same way that comic books would always have like a double-sized issue if it was issue 100 or issue 50 or they, they felt obligated to do it to make it special in some way and uh, I, I guess I could just run the story and then we can talk about it afterward. Dying is easy by Rish Outfield. You misunderstand, my dear girl, I said, building up to the punchline. Even though it was a stupid joke, I would give it my all. Doctor is my last name. Of the two men I was addressing, only one of them laughed. The other, a sleepy-looking kid I'd heard called Jockey, looked puzzled for a moment, and then smiled. I couldn't tell if he got the joke or was just humoring me. I appreciated the smile, though. Either way. Some of us are trying to sleep. I heard a voice complain. I thought it was distant. But it didn't matter. If one prisoner told you to shut up, you did it. I nodded at the other two and lay back onto the straw-covered concrete. I was asleep. Don't know how long. "'when some rustling around me brought me out of it. "'My eyes squinted and blinked from the cold blue lights above, "'and I tried to sit up, but somebody's feet were on my crotch. "'I guess I should have been grateful it wasn't their hands or face, "'but I gave the feet a little shove and sat up all the way. "'Prisoners were stirring, shuffling up against the walls, "'making themselves inconspicuous, using other bodies to hide.' That could only mean one thing. One of them was coming. I hadn't heard the outer doors open. Guess I must have been sleeping pretty deep. But I heard the big metal door of our cell unlock, then slowly slide open. A dude named Jerry once got his fingers crushed in that door. Trying to jump a guard, we'd figured. So people always made sure to stand clear when it opened. Jerry was dead now. A lot of us were. Guard Cheth stepped into the room, his resistor in front of him and humming. He always turned it on, even before he was in the room. As ugly and scary as the Korves were, he was the only one who seemed afraid of us. For some reason, that made the prisoners hate him most of all. "'Happy day!' he said, as he often did. "'Happy night!' he'd say sometimes, the bastard. Any bed? No one said anything. There were twenty-six of us in the cell, probably meant to fit ten comfortably. Twenty-six at last count. There had been fifty of us on the first day. Any sick? Cheth asked, scanning our bodies from the doorway. Nobody ever volunteered themselves as sick not after the first two or three were escorted out and never came back. Nowadays, the only ones who admitted to being sick couldn't walk or stand on their own, and were usually carried out. From the rear corner, Diston pointed.
0: Rodriguez was puking before.
1: Rodriguez stared. He didn't seem to know what Diston was talking about.
0: No, that was days ago. It was last night. He puked on himself and Kovalson. Guard Chith didn't know who Kovalson
1: was. To Corv's, we probably all looked alike. I had only seen five of the alien overseers of this installation, but I could identify any of them. Chith only had four segments. Three of the others had five, and one, Guard Chate only had three. Chith was more blue than green, and one of his eyes was greasy, like he had a cataract. The Korv looked back at Rodriguez. Rodriguez, you are sick. No, I'm great. Rodriguez, Rodriguez, come with me. Poor Rodriguez began to swear. He was fine. "'Everybody pukes in here. We're like rats in a fish tank. Diston didn't know what he was talking about.' Guard Chith stepped toward Rodriguez, his resistor zapping him. "'Rodriguez stopped talking. "'I got hit with one of those once. "'It was like a kick to the nuts, only in the chest. "'Apparently they were supposed to be completely safe to use on prisoners. "'But I wondered how many times people had been hit with one.' and simply fell over dead. "'Rodriguez, come with me,' Chith said again. Poor Rodriguez, who liked to ask the rest of us about our favorite childhood birthdays and vacations, rose shakily to his feet, and did so, spitting at Diston as he went. He missed. It occurred to me that in here... Diston was the prison version of the teacher's pet, at least in his own mind. Everybody wanted somebody else to get removed. For illness, for games, for manual labor, for whatever reason. But the way Diston went about it just wasn't right. In the time, around two months, I figured, though who really knew, we'd been in this cell— Diston had ratted out three or four of us like this. I hadn't realized it until just now, since he was always telling the truth. If he said Samuels passed out during the morning, he had. Didn't save Samuels, though. Every day, usually one person was chosen, either to volunteer for something, or as punishment. Some came back. Most didn't. The Korv were meat-eaters. We all knew it. Guard Chike was the meanest of them, and he liked to tell us how good we tasted. Mmm. He thought it was funny. Sometimes a guard would enter and say, Which of you is the best runner? Or, Anyone here know how to throw a javelin? Or, which of you is the best fighter? Or in guard Chait's case? Who fight good in dark? Him being the dumbest. That volunteer would be taken out and pitted against a prisoner from another cell, or against animals, or against corvs themselves. Only one, Nguyen Tran, had ever come back but he was sick two days later. Once, the guard had asked, Which of you likes to be with females? And that guy actually did volunteer. <sighs> How he strutted as he left the cell, to our boos and catcalls. But he never came back either. The next time the subject came up, Chate asking, Who like fuck? Less enthusiasm followed. Rodriguez was escorted out. I wanted to wish him good luck, but didn't want the guard to notice me. The cell door slammed shut, along with a burst of mildly fresh air. One of the guys, Big Charlie, shook his head. You ever notice that it's always the blacks or the Hispanics that distant rats out? That ain't cool, man. Buck said, in a fake black voice. Hey,
0: better than you, right? Diston said, and actually smiled. Rodriguez gets sick and stays in here. We all get sick. I glared at him and spoke up.
1: You're looking a little pale yourself. You got a stomachache? Buck laughed. Looks more like syphilis to me. Probably AIDS. Big Charlie observed. We better tell the guards. Diston's eyes got big. He actually did look pale all of a sudden. Don't joke about that, guys. You'd better lay down, I said, sarcastic concern in my tone. Conserve your strength, sicky. And the guys laughed. It felt good. Before all this crazy stuff went down with aliens and human enslavement, I'd been a college kid, studying economics and statistics to please my mom, and dreaming of being a comedian or a cast member of Saturday Night Live. As good as it felt to laugh, it felt better to make people laugh. And it seemed like it had been a long time. Guard Chike came by with food. It looked disgusting, but tasted great. I knew it was other humans making it for us, because the only woman I'd seen in weeks had mentioned it once. She'd come into our cell, standing next to guard Chate, reading a bunch of questions, since he couldn't read our language. Poor guy. Oh, you should have seen the men that afternoon. We were riveted, staring at her like she was Megan Fox leaning over that yellow car back in the movies. Or like me, staring at Tracy Holcroft my senior year of high school. We listened to what she had to say about everyone taking an equal share of food, cleaning up after ourselves, and returning trays at the end of every day. When she left, people were quiet for a long time. Loneliness will do that, I guess. The next afternoon, Guard Chicks came through the door. He was the only corv with hair, Apparently, all of them lost their hair when they reached adulthood, but some few unfortunate souls maintained theirs, like a bald guy in college. He spoke English well, and that somehow made him seem more sympathetic than the other guards, at least to me. Oh, we hated him too, don't get me wrong, but he talked a little bit more, answered questions when asked, so that made chicks more tolerable than the others. Any of you feeling sick today? he asked. Diston looked around like a kid with his hand in the cookie jar, but nobody spoke up. I didn't know if Buck and the others had taken the high road, or just wanted to save it up for later. We are looking for volunteers for entertainment, Guard Chicks said. What else was new? No one spoke up. After all, entertainment could mean anything. Probably something bad. Knowing our captors liked violence and the taste of meat, the mind reeled. This is an honor, human males, the guard said. The thought that there were other cells out there, full of human females, both fascinated and dismayed me. Honor is rewarded. Still, nobody spoke up. Guard Chicks himself had told us tales about the fates of other volunteers, so he shouldn't have been surprised. Corvmaster One wants to be entertained, Chicks clarified. He wants to laugh. Uh Uh-oh. This was sounding worse than ever. None of us had ever seen the Corps of leader, but he was described as the equivalent of one of those fat French kings, insatiable in appetite, and consistently bored. Oldfield's funny, somebody said from the far corner. I turned my head. Diston had said it. What? the guard asked. Oldfield, Diston said rising and pointing a finger at me. His eyes were cold and particularly beady.
0: A jokester, a laugh, a riot. He can sing, too, I think.
1: Big Charlie growled at him. Your stomach's still aching distant. You ought to get that checked out. But Guard Chicks wasn't interested in sickness anymore. He was interested in me. You are old field. I nodded, wishing I could turn invisible. You are a laugh riot? No, I said. N- not really. Diston was just making a joke. He's the comedian. Ah, comedian. This is the word. Chicks was pleased, and didn't look at Diston again. He only looked my way. You come with me. Make Corv Master One laugh. Please, I said, but my voice was gone. I practically swayed on my feet. I'm not that funny. Everyone hates my sense of humor. The Corv looked at me for an interminable second. Then his mandibles clicked. You will do. I was supposed to go with him, but I couldn't make my legs move. The guard stepped into the cell, pushed a slow-moving prisoner out of the way, and grasped my arm with a hand-slash-claw that practically popped it out of its socket. Come with me, he said. And I did. As I reached the door of the cell, I heard Big Charlie say, Oldfield, don't you worry. He'll be taken distant out tomorrow. I tried to say, thanks, but it lost my voice. It wasn't much consolation anyway. I stood there stupidly as the guard closed and locked the cell door. I realized the air smelled really nice in the hall, less like sweat, less like a backwoods outhouse. Immediately, I had to go to the bathroom. The alien walked me to the end of the hall, looked at me judgmentally, I was guessing, then started to work the lock on that door. It was unlike any lock I'd ever seen, and I realized it was designed for corv hands, not ours. In all the times we'd dreamed of rushing a guard and getting out of here, we'd never considered that possibility. You tell jokes? the guard asked as the lock disengaged. Comedian? No, I admitted. My friends used to suggest I try, but I was always too scared. The guard made a noise, sounded just like a human chuckle. That is funny. You do good. The door opened, and we were in another hallway. Sunlight was visible through a skylight above. Wow. What's going to happen? I asked. Follow me. He turned right, and I did. Look, Mr. Chicks, making people laugh is hard to do. He paused, turning to face me. For humans, I mean, I said. And I have no idea what Corv. Find funny. Neither do I, Guard Chick said. What? All that matters is Corv Master One. Do your best. Have concentration. That is my suggestion. Great. Thanks, I muttered. You are welcome. We walked past several doors like the one he'd just opened. I wondered if there were prison cells behind each one. Or banks of prison cells. Do you... Do you think I could stop someplace and use the restroom before... It happens? It happens in one hour of time, he said. We get you clean before... You restroom, then. Thanks, I said again, this time more sincere. I was still terrified, but the shock seemed to be wearing off. What does the Corvmaster like? He likes to laugh. You will be okay, Oldfield. What if he doesn't laugh? Guard Chicks led me to a pair of scratched metal doors at the end of the hall. He likes to eat, too. I met the second woman I'd seen since coming here. She was big and black, and probably fifty. But she put her hand on my shoulder, and I was instantly comforted. What's your name, son? Oldfield. I said. I mean, Jason. Jason, go into the bathroom and have yourself a shower. Dump all your clothes in the bin. Here's a towel. Thanks, I said, still confused and nervous, but tempted by the shower. I'll get you some clean clothes when you're out. Turn around. I did, and she nodded. I suppose she was sizing me up. What's going to happen? I asked. You've got fifteen minutes to clean up, Jason. Take advantage. We'll talk after. I hesitated, looking beyond her, where a corps of guard I didn't recognize, a hunched orange one, was watching. It shouldn't have surprised me, but the guard seemed bored. But... I'm supposed to go to the leader and tell some jokes? If you say so, she said kindly. Try not to dwell on it. But who knows what aliens will find funny? I'm not a comedian. Not really. The big woman put her hand on my shoulders. I thought for a moment she was going to kiss me on the forehead. I'd stay away from the racist or Polak jokes, she said. I went in the bathroom and was alone for the first time in weeks. I showered, washed my hair, and used the toilet. The hot water felt so good, I despaired all the hot showers I'd taken in the years before and never appreciated. When it came time to turn off the shower, I noticed my hand was shaking. I couldn't do this. If I had been too chicken shit to stand up on open mic night at Fat Ian's Comedy Club, how well would I perform when my life was on the line? The big woman knocked on the bathroom door, pounded, more likely, and I wrapped the towel around my skinny frame. I'd probably lost twenty-five pounds since I'd last seen myself naked in a mirror, and opened the door. You smell better, she said with no preamble. "'and handed me a pair of blue scrubs, like she was wearing. "'Put these on, fast. "'I didn't have time to get you shorts.' "'That's okay,' I mumbled, and moved to get dressed. "'As the door closed, I heard her say, "'Oh, and I doubt they'll get a kick out of Helen Keller jokes. "'Just saying.' "'I was dressed and clean and ready to go.' at least physically. And then I had to wait seven or eight minutes before a guard retrieved me. And those minutes creeped by, with my stomach cramping up, like I'd gotten food poisoning during my shower. The big woman stood next to me, muttering something to herself. Finally, I couldn't just stand there anymore, and I asked her if she'd been working there long. She told me she'd been there a month, and that there were still a lot of people left, and not to worry. Are there many women? I asked, hoping for something encouraging from her. Sure are, even a few kids. That's good, I said, focusing on our conversation, not on whatever lay in store for me beyond this hall. Us people are resilient, she said. We'll make it out all right in the end. I hope so. She took a step closer to me. You grab on to that hope, Jason, and don't let anybody take it from you. It was the encouragement I'd been so in need of. Can you do that? I nodded, but I sure wasn't feeling it. Just a minute, she told me, and squatted down in front of the cabinet where she'd gotten my towel. Let me know if you see someone coming. All right. The orange Corps of Guard had left us alone four or five minutes ago. She poured something down there, then put several towels back in the cabinet and struggled to her feet. I helped her stand. Here, she said, handing me a Dixie cup with a yellowish liquid in it. This'll take the edge off a little bit. Edge, I asked, but took the cup. You hold in your stomach cause you're sick? You are nervous, aren't you? Oh, yeah, I said. I sniffed at the liquid. It smelled like rubbing alcohol. I appreciated the sentiment. Really, I did. But hard alcohol in an empty stomach would make things worse instead of better. Here, the woman said, handing me a big chunk of French bread with peanut butter on it. To fill your belly a little. It was from the big woman's own plate. I took the bread and was filled with an almost staggering longing for my mother. She was dead, of course, before most of this happened. I guess that made her one of the lucky ones. Thank you, I said, and as I bit into the almost sandwich, I felt tears coming to my eyes, so I turned away. We both heard the door to the hall unlatch. "'They'll be coming for you now, son,' the woman told me. "'Swallow, don't you?' I did, and when it was gone, I downed the awful-tasting liquid. It made me cough and burned as it went down. "'You'll thank me later,' she said. "'Thank you now,' I muttered, and gave her an awkward hug. She didn't hug me back, just nodded and let me do my thing. The Corps of Guard, the orange one with the bad posture, stood by the door, holding it open. Okay, it's time to go, son, the big woman said, and gave me a gentle push in the direction of the guard, who was picking boredly at his thorax in the entryway. I forced my legs to move, and when I got to him, glanced behind me. The big black woman was crying, too. I'd never thought to ask her name. I walked a long way in silence. I couldn't help but think of all the movies I'd seen, with a prisoner being led to the electric chair, praying, or begging, or bawling, or stoic. I nearly asked the orange Corps of Guard "'if the governor had called. "'Maybe I was a comedian after all. "'There was another human prisoner in the hall when I got there. "'He was middle-aged, also in blue scrubs, "'and had shaggy gray hair. Stratton, he said, barely looking up. "'Holdfield,' I said. "'We were in a little foyer in front of a pair of big double doors, "'like a castle gate.' The guard stepped away from us, but closed another of those strange locks, then stood by the door I'd come through, waiting for further orders. "'How's it going?' Mr. Stratton asked, and I didn't know how to respond. "'What you in for?' he asked. I blinked stupidly. "'It was a joke,' he said. "'Ah, funny,' I said. "'I can see why you're here.' What do you mean? I used to teach Shakespeare at a community college. I'm supposed to recite sonnets and monologues in the leader hall. Have you done it before? No. He paused. Wait, done Shakespeare or performed for their king? The second one. Nope. You? Nope, I said. This guy seemed a heck of a lot calmer than I was, but he could probably concentrate on the—what did you call it—ambic pentameter, instead of worrying about the rest. "'They gave me a bruised pear, half-hour ago,' he commented. "'Best thing I've ever tasted.' My mouth filled with saliva automatically. "'I'll bet.' "'I ate the stem.' I would, too, I said. What are you here for? I'm supposed to be making the... Then the big gate opened. The smell of roasting meat came to my nose. It was intoxicating. A guard I'd seen once before, chest, chost, stepped in. Stratton, Stratton, he called. God be with you the man said to me, and started toward the hall. Hey, once more into the breach, I called to him. Thanks. He intoned a verse as he walked. Life's but a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage. Amen, I couldn't help but say. I heard him shout, And then is heard no more. As the doors slammed shut. And then he was gone. I was alone in that antechamber for a long, long time. Long enough for my armpits to soak dark stains through the clean top I wore. Long enough for the alcohol to take effect. There were no chairs in the room, no handrails. The walls around me began to gently sway like a cruise ship or a baby's crib. I went over in my mind two or three jokes that I had been telling for years, hoping that comedy was at least somewhat universal. Suddenly, there was a cheer from the hall beyond. It sounded like a human cheer, only lower. The doors opened. The guard looked at me. Old file? I nodded and walked toward him. The leader's chamber was a large open room, with a ceiling at least twenty feet high, tables set up along the edges, and bleachers along two sides. At the end was an arrangement of easy chairs, each of which held a corve draped in black silk. I realized after a moment that this had once been a basketball court. There was sand all over the floor, but under it would certainly be lines for out-of-bounds and free-throws. The bleachers held several corve, and a scattering of humans, also draped in black silk. Way up above my head, there were banks of bright lights, but also the remnants of pennants or flags. Had this all been a school once? a high school, or college. Where exactly was I? Not that that mattered right now. I had to get my head in the game, so to speak. A short, two-segmented corve handed me a microphone and gestured to the center of the room, the tip-off circle. It was there that I would take my stand. Stratton, a Shakespeare professor, was nowhere to be seen. The audience had been chittering to one another as I came in, but now they fell silent. Hundreds of multifaceted eyes were upon me, as well as the corps of leader, who watched me intently. He looked just like all the rest of the aliens, except that his skin was mottled, almost freckled. One of his segments had a deep split in it, like an unhealed scar or a sidewalk crack. Forward. "'He bade me. Not an order, just an invitation. "'I took two steps in his direction. Two of the guards in front of him, both of them standing, "'raised their resistors, just in case I made a rush at Master One. "'I wondered if any of us had ever tried. "'No,' he said, and that most certainly was an order.' His antennae twitched in anticipation. "'Hello,' I said. The hand I wasn't holding the mic with started to twitch as well. I made a fist at my side. "'My name is Oldfield, and I have no idea what I'm doing here.' A couple of the corv looked at each other, taking me literally. "'Tell Laugh!' A heavy set alien, seated right next to Corv Master 1, encouraged me, raking the air with its claw. Tell laugh, right, I said. I had been planning to start off with the island plane crash joke, but I was now afraid to, mostly because I couldn't remember how it started anymore. I swallowed. So, a uh, tour bus. "'Full of nuns, breaks down on the way to a retreat,' I began. "'It was a good joke, but I wondered how funny these monsters would find it. "'Now the the Mother Superior gets out, and, looking over the smoking bus, "'completely misses the sign that says Nude Beach.' "'I glanced at their leader, hoping to recognize some kind of interest or amusement. "'I could see neither.' She says to the other nuns, We're going to have to... What is nun? One of the reclining corvs wondered aloud. It was either bored or trying to go to sleep. Like zero. A white one, crouched beside the leader, answered. Much to my disappointment.
0: And what is retreat?
1: The same alien asked. To "To run run away. The white one answered like human military if that was a joke nobody laughed maybe their concept of humor was totally alien to ours no pun intended what What is is newt bees a really oddly shaped one beside the leader asked well i glanced quickly around and saw that most of the aliens were naked the only ones who wore clothes wore sashes or colored belts that must have designated them as servants or guards or their social caste or something. I had a feeling the punchline about the overripe bananas wasn't going to go over so well with this crowd. The leader's legs rubbed together like a cricket's, though without the pleasant sound, and I quickly changed tactics. "'I uh, found out recently. I was adopted.' I said, forcing a casualness into my voice. I had no idea. No clue until my mom told me. I looked into mom's six-faceted eyes and asked if she was joking. I paused, waiting for a reaction. One didn't come. Originally that joke had been about my parents being Zulu warriors, but I had changed it to corvs hoping it would work. It didn't. I could tell by the droop of her antenna she was disappointed in me. Who was? The bored-slash-sleepy alien asked me. My, uh, my mom, I muttered. This wasn't working. My bladder was empty, but I was filled with the need to go to the bathroom. Uh, sh- she, she was a core of... Silence. For two or three month-long seconds, I could say nothing. Finally, I continued, just talking. What's funny to one person isn't always funny to another. And who knows what's funny to someone from a different planet? Before one of them could answer me or start heckling, I went on. Not me. The thing is... (sighs) I was never brave enough to get up in front of people and try to make them laugh. And here I am, doing it for... For you, life, intoned Corv Master One. He still appeared interested, curious, wanting to be entertained. Yes, the funny thing is, at least I hope it's funny, is that this isn't exactly the most scared I've been. In my life, I mean. His antenna straightened. I couldn't help but think of an erection. I hoped it meant the same thing. No, I was sixteen years old. High school. A time I'd not want to go back to, even though we hadn't yet been conquered by aliens back then. The junior prom was coming up, and I really wanted to go even though boys were supposed to pretend we didn't care about dances. But I-, I didn't know who to ask. I mean, I I knew who I wanted to ask. Tr- Tracy Holcroft. But that wasn't going to happen. People in the audience had been watching me in silence. By people, I mean the aliens and the fortunate, somehow elevated humans. I hadn't been funny yet, but they had still been with me. Now they started to shift in their chairs and on the bleachers. I looked at them instead of the leader. Tracy Holcroft was a junior, like me, but not like me in any other way. Tracy was so beautiful, always had been, with long black hair and these blue eyes that belonged on a totally different girl. The sleepy-seaming corv licked its mandibles. Some of their attention turned to a serving table being wheeled out to the buffet section. I glanced away from it, and then immediately back. Stratton, the professor's head and upper torso were on it. His scalp had been cut off to expose the brain. And then, are heard no more. The alcohol had been helping, but now I was dead sober. I muttered Jesus' name, just in case he was listening. What did he say? The white-shelled Corv asked. Maybe he was hard of hearing. You do good job. We will bring in you cheeses, Corv Master One promised me, which, frankly, was funnier than anything I had managed today. Say your things more louder, called the white Corv. I made myself more louder, gripping the microphone like it was a security blanket or a teddy bear. I was... Uh, in love with Tracy, I guess, I continued. In that way that you could only be as a kid when your hormones run your body. I knew her from classes, from junior high, but she always had boyfriends. Of course she did. But Edwin McConnell, a friend of mine, "'told me she had just broken up with her boyfriend, "'but that he broke up with her, actually, "'and didn't have a date, "'and that this was my chance, "'that fate had arranged for us to be together. "'I needed to ask "'before somebody better-looking than me did so. "'I was so scared. "'Kind of like now. "'But he was right. "'This was my chance. "'She and I knew each other. "'We were friendly. "'She might say yes.' especially if she was feeling vulnerable right now. When is Fanny part? The royal corv beside the leader spoke up. Not just to him, but to everyone. I realized, by her long, pulsating abdomen, that she was a female. The lower half of her body was so swollen and distended, she couldn't stand up. Gross. The leader glanced at her. Looking bored now, too, though it was harder to tell with him than the others, and harder to tell with aliens than with a human audience. He said something in their language, then turned back to me. You are scared of human female than more of us? Yes. He raised a sharp, battle-scarred mandible to his queen, sister, daughter, or concubine. This is funny part, he assured her. I hope so, I replied. Um, so I had to ask her to the prom. But I also had to find a clever way of doing it. And find the courage. And get her alone. And do it before somebody else did. Sweat trickled down my cheek, and I wiped it away. I'd never actually seen a stand-up do that before. Only mime doing it when a joke didn't go well. During lunch, I ran over to Albertson's and got some helium balloons. Do you know what those are? He didn't seem to. The thin, white-shelled corv, surely an advisor, leaned forward and began snacketing something to him. "'Well, it doesn't matter,' I said, interrupting the explanation. "'They're stupid, pointless—' Only a little kid would think balloons were cool. I got out of my journalism class and had to go to the office to find out what class Tracy was in right then. Turns out she had P.E. while I had journalism. So I went to the gym with the balloons and stepped inside. A bunch of girls were playing volleyball in there, and the coach blew her a whistle when she saw me. What is this? she yelled. And I I said the first thing that I could think of, that I was there from the office with a delivery for T. Halcroft. I said it in an embarrassed, dutiful way, and she told Tracy to go talk to me. She was dressed in a T-shirt and gym shorts, and there was lots of bare arm and long legs showing. The gym teacher told her to double-time it, and she ran the rest of the way. It was glorious. I found myself boning out right there with a bunch of balloons in my hand. What does this mean? The Corps of Female asked. The leader's advisor said something to her in their language. She nodded and looked back at me. Did you mate with her then? I opened my mouth to answer, but the leader said, No, no, no answering. Do not ruin it. Tell the story correct. "'Okay,' I said, finding myself grateful to Corv Master One. "'So there she was, half undressed, standing in front of me, "'and my mind went blank. "'I couldn't speak. I couldn't do anything. "'I was frozen. I was freaking out.' "'She looked at me, and her smile was so big. "'I wanted to cry. "'Who sent the balloons?' she asked. I... I said, and couldn't get anything out. My hindbrain started telling me that there she was, in some thin cotton fabric. All I had to do was grab her and... I glanced at that gross core of female. Mate with her. They... I finally said. They're from... from... Is there a card? she asked. No, but... They come with an invitation." "'To the prom?' she asked. And if anything, that perfect smile got bigger." "'Yes? Who from?' "'From?' "'The guy who sent the balloons.' She frowned. She didn't like the guessing game. "'Who sent them?' "'I could give you the message,' I said. "'It's a singing telegram, but—' I'd rather not have to sing in front of all these people, so you could just go to the prom with me. She looked blankly at me, then back to the balloons. (sighs) She was so beautiful, but so clueless. Nah, tell me who the balloons are from. I said, Tracy, I got the balloons, as an excuse to ask you to prom. She kept looking up at the floating latex, like a little kid. I was not liking where this was going. Do you want the balloons? I asked, and thrust them out. Here. Thanks, she said. Is there a message in them, then? No, I repeated. Just my invitation to prom. You said there was a singing telegram. I want to hear it. That was a joke, I admitted. Oh, she said, and her big eyes were more disappointed than ever. Why Why was she making this so difficult? Was she really this dense, or was she having fun making me squirm? All right, I said finally, and started to sing, in a tuneless, aimless way. I glanced at my audience, unsure of whether to sing the song, which... For some cruel mental reason, I had never forgotten the tune of. A few of the royal corve had gone to the table and were nibbling on something. Somebody, more likely. A couple were chatting with each other. One was sleeping. I decided to go for it. Tracy Holcroft, here I am to ask you to the prom dance. I think you'll have a real good time if you just give me a chance. I I paused to gauge her reaction and realized the volleyball game had stopped. All the girls on both teams and the coach were looking my way. Louder, one girl I didn't know shouted. I turned back to Tracy. She was enjoying this. Well, she said, rolling her hand for me to get on with it. Um, <laughs> I got you balloons and a made-up song to see if you would say yes. If you'll agree or just nod your head, and I can give this a rest. That didn't rhyme, another girl called out. She wore glasses and I sat behind her in a homeroom. Lauren, her name was, and she'd always been so nice in math class. Tracy's expression hadn't changed. Come on, one more, she said. One more verse? I asked. She took a step closer to me, and my heart did this crazy loop-de-loop in my chest, or stomach, or, or wherever my heart was at that moment. I went for it. I know I'm not a super jock or a good singer or dancer, but I hope you're impressed with me anyway, so please give me your answer. And I threw my arms out to show that I was done. A couple of the volleyball girls clapped their hands, and one of them whistled. Then the coach blew her whistle and told them to get back to the game, leaving me and Tracy in relative privacy. The thing is, Tracy said, and to my horror, I realized she was about to turn me down. I'm going with Travis. He asked me, like, a month ago. I lowered the microphone, in case the girls had heard that too. I thought you and Travis broke up. We did. But I'm still going to prom with him. What? Why? Thanks for the balloons, though. She started to turn and then said, I'm really sorry, and put her long, thin hand on my shoulder. It almost... You should have asked for balloons returned. The corv leader interrupted. What is balloons? The female one asked next to him. She was sucking on a bone. It looked like a person's femur. The advisor started to explain, again. But Corv Master One waved him off. It is a primate of the Africa, the leader said confidently. Like monkey, but bigger. I stayed silent, trying to imagine my story as they visualized it. I'd brought her monkeys. So what happened? Another alien asked, one who had been quiet throughout. It was gray and dry-looking, almost shriveled. With what? She turned me down. With the dance prom. Oh. Well, that night, the girl with the glasses, Lauren, called to tell me that she was impressed with my song. She pretty much invited herself to be my date. We went out for a year or so, until right before graduation. Then she got contacts. I stopped talking. None of this had been even remotely funny. "'Why did you not kill this girl who say no to you?' the female corv asked. Before I could answer that I was far more likely in high school to kill myself than anyone else, the Grey One answered, "'Because this Tracy Holcroft was like a young queen in the hive, far above his station.'" Exactly, I heard myself say. The leader spoke up. Your story is a good one, amusing for me, but I need answers to what you said before. Excuse me? You said you being more afraiding of that experience than this one. Oh, that. Most of the royal corves now looked at me with rapt attention. Well, you see, you have the power to, uh, kill me, but she had the power to break my heart, you know? And the leader laughed. He laughed, uproariously. The other aliens beside him didn't move, but when he looked over at them, they laughed too. It was upsetting. I needed to go to the bathroom again.
0: <laughs>
1: you are funny, human. Corv Master One said, stopping his laughter immediately. We will feed you and giving you a bedding for to sleeping in. And a female. Give him those as well. The Grey One said. He can tell us about the experience and make us laugh. They agreed, chittering in their language for a moment. I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. But it didn't. The elderly corv that seemed to know the most about our language and customs clacked his claws together in an obvious imitation of applause. That was for me. Really? I said, a bit in shock. I can go. The leader angled his antenna at me. You can go, but coming back tomorrow, make me laugh again. Two new stories about your fears and frustrations. My mouth went dry. Two. Thank you, I managed. The alien leader signaled me away with an upper claw, and the guard sidled up to me to take me elsewhere. The audience began to snicked and snacked as I left. Some of the humans clapped, and one, near to the front, waved a pole with Dwayne the Rock Johnson's head on it to me. I had to do a double-take. It was Taylor Swift. As I left the chamber, I heard Corv Master One proclaim, Now, bring me two humans to fight a battle. With sticks! I didn't know if I should pity them or envy them. The End So do you want to say, and we're back, like you used to always?
0: (laughs) No, this isn't my show. I can't do that. It's not allowed. I'm trying to be a good guest. I already butted in before you introduced me. (laughs) Do you want me to say, and we're back?
1: No, I just, you used to do that.
0: I know, and I was actually considering doing it, and then I'm just like, this isn't my show. I can't do that. I just need to shut up and sit here. Yeah, just go ahead. And we're back. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Rich Outcast. How was that? Thank
1: you. Yeah, that's that's nice. I should get. You- hey,
0: you get the celebrity guest; you get the best. <laughs> <laughs> I brought my A game for you. <clears throat> so that was a fairly
1: long story, and uh, I don't know that I mentioned what we had. Our famous celebrity guest. Throwing his voice there at the (laughs) beginning of the story, as the guy, a real sweetheart of a guy named Diston.
0: Okay, I got to stop you there. What the hell? (laughs) What kind of a name is Diston? I don't know, but I don't know.
1: Everybody goes by their last names because it is a prison type situation, and uh, it's just—it's an ugly name, isn't it?
0: So do you think it's that guy's last name then? Yeah. I I assume? I think so. D-I-S-T-E-N.
1: You were telling me that you had an email from me from almost 20 years ago where uh, I was saying that lots of times I'll just have girl says, girl two (laughs) says, and then I have to go in and search and replace those those girl twos and and all that. And I, I still do that sometimes. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure it was just like a-hole or bully or (laughs) the guy that he was uh, inspired by who has shown up in so many of my stories. It was probably under that name. And then I had to replace it. But I don't know where Diston came from.
0: Yeah, that's a name that I have never heard. Never heard that as a first or a last name. Wow. But uh,
1: you said you had heard of Oldfield as a last name.
0: I have. Yeah, I I knew a guy. Uh, I worked with a guy whose last name was Oldfield. He was a film reviewer. It was at a, at a time that I wanted to be the film reviewer, and then all of a sudden this guy showed up and started reviewing films for my TV station, and I was just like, damn it. I think that my chance has passed. If I wanted to be a film reviewer, I should have done it before they hired a film reviewer.
1: The guy that did Tubular Bells, was that not Mike
0: Oldfield? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not the world's biggest fan or even really very familiar with tubular bells. But I'm sure they're great.
1: Well they're they're, they're certainly tubular.
0: Are they totally tubular like like 80s parlance? Yeah, I, I would go as far as to say that they are gnarly. Oh nice. They're bitching they're bad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there was a a sketch on Saturday Night Live a couple of weeks ago that was making fun of Gen Z's like the 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 slang that they have online. Michael Che wrote the sketch. It's just a bunch of like kids and each one has like a different color hair, like blue and orange and green and all that garbage and mm-hmm. they they say things like yeet and uh It was uh, not a good sketch. But the (laughs) next day, there were all of these, like, complaints. And what was weird was when I heard about the complaints, I was just like, oh, that's not surprising. You know, because these coddled kids can't take a joke because they've been told that they are, you know, wonderful, perfect beings of light Uh their whole lives. But what it was was there were a bunch of urban viewers that attacked Saturday Night Live for using, you know, Ebonic speech and making fun of it. But little did they know that Michael Che wrote that sketch, <laughs> the black anchor from, from Weekend Update. And he was just like, hey, I was making fun of the way these kids talk. If you're saying that they stole that from you, then you should be ashamed of yourself. (laughs) And I just, I loved that. It was such a great response because yeah, he was just talking about how he was making these Gen Z's sound like such idiots. And then somebody to be like, Hey, how dare you? We talk like that. Yeah. It was not the best place to come from
0: with (laughs) criticism. Nice. So coming back to the rails. (laughs) Okay. If there were any rails to begin with, You just played a story for all these folks called Dying is Easy. Does First of all, what does that title come from, Rich Outfield?
1: Oh, gosh. I, I don't remember who it was. Oh, my gosh. I typed who and Google. Oh, my gosh. I kid you not. The first response was who said dying is easy, comedy is hard. The second one was who won the Kentucky Derby this year. (laughs) third was who is the richest person in the world but i just find that
0: really really strange that i typed who that that's not strange that means that your computer is eavesdropping on you sir either that or that was the last (laughs) thing that you searched
1: okay well it's definitely one of those things it's so it was edmund gwen i can't even say that edmund gwen who was the actor who played Chris Kringle in Miracle on 34th Street. Those were reputed to be his dying words. He was visited by a, a film director named George Seaton as Gwen lay dying in, in bed, and the Seaton said, I know this must be terribly difficult for you. And Edmund Gwen is reported to have said, No, no, dying is easy. Comedy is hard. Huh. A bunch of people, I think, have been credited with saying it since then. Mm-hmm. But it it's it's a very famous quote, and uh, it's it's beautiful. I love it. So that's of course where the title came from. I hope I didn't spell it out in the story. You know, you you're just supposed to get it from the title, right? You know, and, yeah. I uh, mean,
0: obviously, there's the likelihood of our main character dying for trying to do comedy. Which he's not particularly good at, so it's hard. It's it's got a lot of that woven into it, I suppose. But uh, I think it's a it's a good title for sure. It's one of your better titles. It beats the pants off of Bundling Made Easy. <laughs> it wait,
1: it beats the pants off of what?
0: <laughs> bundling Made Easy. <laughs> oh, that's that's cruel. I like Bundling Made Easy. Uh, yeah i'm sure you do you know the in in case anybody who's listening don't doesn't know what i'm talking about rich has his series of uh stories about Lara and the witch that are all titled with uh insurance company taglines and i haven't read bundling made easy so i don't know how the title fits i do remember trying to suggest that he should call it the company you keep and he said oh yeah you know i just looked at that same list of uh insurance company taglines on the internet that you looked at and i thought of that one too but i'd already decided on bundling made easy and i went what <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> i i wrote a story
1: in 2021 a Lara and the witch story that i did title the company you keep and it's about her making friends with a, another girl in school who claims to be a witch and it just it worked better for that story than it did for the romance for Lara falling in love. so uh uh-huh. But you know, there are some really good slogans for insurance companies, and then there are really, really dull ones that have the name of the insurance company in them. <laughs> right which are much much harder to uh, to separate, to to make general. But yeah, everybody has has things that speak to them, and one thing that I love to do is to name stories after song titles. Right, and with uh, that very first Laura and the Witch story, I just I got it into my head that I was going to call it Like a Good Neighbor, which uh, is State Farm's, or uh, I guess it's still their their slogan, but it was before the goddamn Jake from State Farm plague <laughs> has struck. I mean, just just this endless. And I don't even want to say variety because it contradicts the meaning of that word. But there's an endless wave of Jake from State Farm insurance commercials that we get over and over and over again. And I remember in doing research trying to find slogans that, that insurance companies are the biggest advertiser in America. More than beer, more than soft drinks, more than anything else it's insurance companies they just spend billions every single year and it's sad because they're just they're they're blood sucking awful yeah. pestilences on our society much more so than beer or so it's
0: because they have no product to sell they don't have to make anything <laughs> their product is you feel better you worry less you're giving them money so that on the off chance something happens to you, you'll you'll have somebody to pay for it. I think you probably do just as well if you took all the money that you paid to all your insurance and just put it in a savings account. You'd be able to make a shit ton of money instead of wasting it all. But that will never happen. And and now we are required by law to have insurance in most ways. So uh, whenever you're required by law... That's when you know they're going to become quickly the largest investor in advertising because why not? Everybody has to do it. Can you imagine if they required by law that you must buy a six-pack every week, how much more <laughs> beer commercials we would have? I guess. Beer
1: commercials tend to be fairly clever, and I, I don't watch sports like you do, but it was always the beer ads that were the funniest. That's true. When I was growing up, they would hire like the best advertising firms to come up with just you know very very memorable, really really good stuff. I remember uh, Gore Verbinski, that guy that did the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and and The Ring, and uh, <laughs> he ended up in director jail because of Lone Ranger, and then some. Film studio gave him a very small budget to make a a movie, you know, saying, well, you know, we'll give you a second chance. And he made this movie called The Cure for Wellness on like a super, super low budget. And it bombed just as badly as, you know, his big budget flop. And so, yeah, he's his career is over, (laughs) despite having made these billion dollar Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And he got his start doing Budweiser commercials. And he did that the frogs that said bud why zur which was just this huge thing and i think of it now and it's just like why why did why <laughs> did that catch on yeah cuz that's really stupid and when you and i were kids spud's mckenzie was this huge thing for bud light uh-huh if if you're if you're younger than 40 then you can't imagine how big a deal Spuds McKenzie was and how stupid it was that they made the, like this super kid friendly ad campaign for beer <laughs> and it appealed to children. Yeah. I guess it's, you know, very similar to, you know, the camel or maybe not, I but just like everybody in, in my junior high was wearing like Spuds McKenzie gear and stuff, but none of us were old enough to drink. I, I scratch my head on it now.
0: <laughs> yeah, and the sad thing is, I think I would be willing to bet that Spuds McKenzie is behind the huge proliferation of people uh, choosing to own pit bulls as pets. I don't know that there were there was anything near the amount of people having pit bulls as pets. They became like a cool thing at that point, and then kind of blew up from there they started growing and then you know i'm sure there are hundreds and hundreds of children out there that oh they're mauling at the hands of pit bulls oh, no. to spuds mckenzie so we can thank them for that too they you know going back to the insurance company commercials okay. there are some that are are good like even jake from state farm the original Jake from State Farm commercial was good, and Geico does a bunch that you have to admit are funny, and there's plenty that aren't, but there's plenty that are as well. So they're not all bad.
1: No, I guess the the commercials aren't bad, but insurance companies are.
0: Oh yes, and
1: all you have to do is watch sixty minutes, or what you know, just one person who the the insurance company refused to pay. Despite, you know, something terrible happening to a child or, you know, yeah. a family member. And uh, it it is a shame that those exist in our society. And it's one of those things that I feel like future generations will shake their heads and say, wait, and you guys were required by law to have insurance, even though you knew that it was super corrupt. And We'd be like, yeah, but that's how it worked. And they's like, but you didn't really know. Like only only the people that worked for insurance companies knew that they were corrupt, right? It's like, no, everybody knew.
0: Yeah, we're off track again. <laughs> yeah, but what
1: do I have to say about the story?
0: Well, I haven't even got to ask you my first question about it. All I did was ask you what the title was, was about. Oh, no. <laughs> you have questions that you well, prepare. I have uh, a whole list of them here.
1: Wait, you're kidding. We've been going for 90 minutes and you have a list of questions now?
0: Yep. Unfortunately, this is going to be a really long show, folks. So strap in, maybe get something to drink. You're going to be here a while. I know I don't have that many questions, but I am trying to talk about the story a little bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah you're trying to turn the wheel back
0: maybe i shouldn't maybe you just don't want to talk about the story you're just like here's a story now i'm just gonna talk about other things and it's your show so if you want to say no <laughs> i was going to ask you where did the idea for this story come from what's what's the story behind the writing of this story
1: well i i don't remember anything about it i i don't know where i was when i wrote it no, i don't even know when it would have been You and I had a podcast by then, so it's, you know, since 2008, sometimes you'll remember where you were, what you were listening to, what was going on in the world, you know? Right. When you were writing something. And in this story's case, I just don't, I don't know.
0: I don't know. That's interesting. I know that you have a real thing for writing stuff in like a notebook or something. And then later coming across it and reading it and being like, what the hell is this? I have no memory of ever writing this story. And to the point where you don't know how it's going to end or anything, it might as well have been written by a different person.
1: And that's not something that ever happens with you, huh?
0: Not completely. I have had stuff that I wrote where I'm like, what is this? I don't, I don't really remember this, you know, when I've come across it. I, I don't think I've written enough. You know, you've always written way more than I have. Uh, even on the year that I wrote 300,000 words, you went ahead and wrote like 360. So you've always, <laughs> always topped me in output. So I don't think I have enough stuff out there to be like, oh, I don't remember this at all. What is this? Perhaps if I wrote 300,000 words for five years in a row or 10 years or something, there would be stuff in there where I'd be like, oh, this is by me? This can't (laughs) be right. But so far as yet, that has not happened. I know that there's a lot of autobiographicalness to this story. Uh, You were once conquered by aliens and taken to a prison Although it changed, you you were forced, I think, to eat the excrement of all the other prisoners in, in real life. But in this story, you changed it to where you had to tell them jokes.
1: Yeah, it, it made the story, no, no pun intended, more palatable. <laughs> uh, it, it's funny because when I mentioned the story to you the other day and said, hey, do you remember that story, Dying is Easy, that I wrote? You said to me, Yeah, I remember that there was a guy who went on before your character did. And while you were doing your like monologue, they brought him out like on a tray and everybody started eating him. And I was like, no, I wouldn't have written something that dark.
0: (laughs) You're like, that has to be your story. I don't write. It did.
1: It felt like something way darker, something that you would write. And then when I got to that part in the story on doing the audio, I was like, oh, crap, he was right. <laughs> and then I go, and then is heard no more. And I was just like, wow. Yeah, I went there. Good for me. Because it is, it is a gross, bleak, unpleasant little story. And then it's got this dumb stand-up thing that has a, a happy ending to it that, that it shouldn't. You know, it's just like, hey, I like this kid's embarrassment or humiliation. He can live. Now bring out two guys and have them fight to the death with sticks. It it is a happy ending, but it's just a, I feel like it goes a little more. It goes farther than most of my
0: stuff does. I I, I think, I don't know. You've read a lot. Maybe it, Mm -hmm. it fits right in. Well, it, I mean, it kind of fits in. It's It's got a happy ending, but not really. Because they're like, you come back again tomorrow. He he, he. So he's just going to have to face this again and again. Yeah. Uh, come up with more embarrassing stories. Although the character seems like he's probably got a few. So he
1: might be fine. Well, he's, he's a thinly veiled
0: character. So yeah. He, oh, had he a had fear. a veil? I didn't notice the veil. It was so thin. I I don't know. It's interesting to hear that story in the middle of the setting that it's in. You know what I mean? this, This guy is standing in some kind of a banquet hall with a bunch of crazy aliens. And he's telling a story about how he tried to ask a girl to a dance in high school. I think that's one of the interesting things about it is just how out of place it feels. And the aliens don't even understand it. and
1: It's like that moment in Top Secret, isn't it? Where Val Kilmer's character is being tortured by the Nazis. <laughs> and he, he loses consciousness, right? <laughs> While they're torturing him. And he dreams that he's in school. He's in high school and he's late for class, but he doesn't know where his class is. And he's just like, oh no, no, I'm late for class. But which, which one is it? Where is it? Somebody help me, please. And then he, he comes to and he looks around and he's still being whipped. And he goes, oh, thank God.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's one
1: of the best jokes in that whole movie.
0: Yeah, it was hilarious. Uh,
1: and it's sort of like that in its absurdity, I guess. The whole like aliens have taken over the earth and we're being groomed for meals for them and 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 entertainment and stuff is a a dark premise and it's probably shown up a lot of times in entertainment but i had never written anything about this before or anything like this before and i it could even have been more bleak because i did think about like their living conditions and what do they do for a toilet and i decided not to go there Of like you know what it might smell like in a room like that and because you can go so dark that you can't ever come back from it and I feel like that moment with the Shakespearean teacher at the community college being wheeled out is like a you're gonna lose half your audience moment it's so dark am I wrong
0: Yeah, it is right up to the edge at the very least, but that's, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, how Joss Whedon would always kill off some character that you loved because, you know, you have to see the stakes or else you're just going to be like, nah, this person's going to be fine. They're not really going to eat him until, oh, wait, I guess they will because that's the guy that was up just before him and he's already hors d'oeuvres that's one of those things that at least sometimes you have to have you know what i mean i mean maybe you don't have to have that in every story uh where there's a threat but it is important that the stakes are real you know so it doesn't wind up being like arnold schwarzenegger movie from the 80s where he skates his way through everything shooting off his machine gun and mowing guys down left and right and you never feel like oh I wonder if he's going to live through this or not. Until Die Hard came along and, uh, you know, Bruce Willis is just getting shredded left and right. And you're just like, oh my gosh, this guy may not live through this. You know, when you see him come out there at the end, limping along, his blood's streaming out behind him, coming off of his feet and all that stuff. And then you're just like, yeah, this guy has really uh, earned his keep it's that kind of a thing. I think when you see that guy, it is dark, but I think it's a little bit necessary. I don't think you took it too far. No, when you took it too far is when the rock's head is on the end of a stick (laughs) and Taylor Swift is waving. (laughs) That's when you jump the shark, sir.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but that's my Steven Spielberg blowing up the shark at the end of jaws. If, if I've had you up to this point, it's okay. I've going I'm going to have you for the 99th percentile of of the movie or whatever they'd say that whatever Spielberg said on that, you know. It's like if if I hadn't lost him up to this point, I'm not going to lose him by blowing up the shark at the climax of the movie. There's that moment in the middle where he goes in and there's the there's the nurse. Uh-huh. But but he gets like so much humanity from this woman like warmth and uh
0: and some booze
1: just he gets an exhibition of what the best of people is after seeing the worst for so long and i feel like stuff like that is is necessary i think when you paint a story this bleak you have little things where you catch sight of of hope of 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 somebody that has remained decent despite this job that I would imagine would just suck your soul right out of preparing these people to go out and and most of them never come back right anyway yeah the 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 Taylor swift thing was a twenty twenty one edition that I threw in there because it just I wanted something at the very very end that would make me laugh. I don't know if it doesn't make anybody else laugh. But it, the, the idea that, you know, that there's all these monsters and they all, you know, want to eat us and they see us as parasites or hors d'oeuvres, as you said. And then there's a few like sellout humans that are among them that somehow found a way to coexist with these conquerors. And that one of them is Taylor Swift. Yeah, that's that's the sort of thing that amuses the hell out of me. Yeah. and if it doesn't make anybody else laugh, that's okay.
0: That one's <laughs> she, for me. She is the ultimate crossover artist. So <laughs> uh,
1: there you go. That's right. She, I did hear that that a couple of her songs were right up there on the Billboard Rap charts for a couple of weeks, and so that is quite an accomplishment.
0: Yep, I think that's all of them now. I think she even hit the Hot 100 classical charts, so. You
1: know, you did a whole year where you wrote every single day, or a a long stretch of a year until you reached 300,000 words, right? Right. And I did it, too. I was was impressed that you were doing it, and uh, I did this, you know, I'm going to write every single day, too, kind of thing. And I found that stories got finished so much faster than they used to. Something like Dying is Easy was probably a three or four month process when I wrote it. And you'd finish something and then it was go on to the next thing and go on to the next thing. And so to not get bored, you try and switch things up and write different genres or different tones. One of the things that I did a lot in that year of writing was that I would write like little sketches and audio drama things and Stuff that you know, one day I would get Renee Chambliss to sit down and, and do the girl part f- with me, and and yeah, I have like five or six of those that have never gotten recorded and probably never will get recorded.
0: <laughs> There's always episode 250, <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, well, if if Renee wanted to do it, I mean, it could be episode 202 yeah, because they're just going to waste. There's things that I wrote that uh that were for the podcast that didn't get done, but you. Weren't really writing short stories, you were writing novels. And so the experience can't have been like that at all, where it's just like, okay, now move on to the next thing. All right, now I'm going to switch it up because I, I'm going to try and write something funny, or I'm going to write another Western, or I'm going to write a ghost story, or, you know, how do you maintain the dedication or the, the enthusiasm? Because you didn't just write little half-assed 40,500-word <laughs> novels where the Hugos technically say this is a novel, but just between you and me, you wrote these gargantuan, epic, Brandon Sanderson motherf***ing <laughs> pieces. And so I, I i know it's a super long question. Can you remember it enough to answer the question?
0: Do you remember how I kept my enthusiasm up in writing uh, long... I don't know. Um... You know, it was what I was doing every day, so I was I was going to do it. I did have basically an outline that I was following or the, the story that I had to tell. You know what I mean? I didn't want to quit until I finished it. There was times where I did take breaks in the middle and, you know, I stopped writing on one novel and went over and wrote a short story or something like that. But mostly I would just stick with what I was doing. Uh, I found it easier to stay in the story, to be able to to write the story well if I stuck with it day after day. If I moved off into something else, I would kind of lose the feel and lose the excitement for the thing that I was on. So I found it was better to stick with it until I was done. I've always kind of written that way. I know that you don't necessarily. You'll often bounce from one thing to another and back and forth again I guess to keep yourself entertained or just you lose excitement for a story and so you work on something else for a little while and then at some point you'll gain the excitement back I mean you've talked about how many unfinished stories you have out there and you've been talking about that kind of stuff for 20 years so not a new thing but uh, i don't know for me it just it just works i've always just kind of plowed through whatever i have i never moved off onto something else in the middle of doing something unless i actually completely lost i was gonna say lost the plot but that's (laughs) that's not really what i mean (laughs) that's a saying but that's not what i'm talking about i lost the the joy for a story or i lost i lost interest in it i guess the best way to put it where you ran out of gas right yeah like for example one of the books that i finished i think i finished it in 2019 maybe not 2020 or maybe it was 2017. Anyways, I finished it before, but it was Sonny and Gray, which I started, shoot, like in 2014, you know, the, the first few chapters of Sunny and Gray were written ages ago, and then they just sat and sat. And then when we were doing one of our starting in February, we're going to write every day and then, you know, it carried on into March and then into April I started writing on Sunny and Gray again. I picked it back up and was able to actually finish it. But yeah, that was one of those that had languished for a long time. And I had a hard time when I went back to write it. I was like, okay, I got to read the whole thing again to get myself... I mean, I didn't want to because it was... At the time, it was already like at least 20 or 30,000 words or something like that. I'm like, I don't want to read all that crap. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> I read it just so that I could get myself back into the book so that I could uh, pick it up and, and keep going.
1: What was that like, reading these chapters six years after you'd written them? Had you forgotten? Uh. Did it just feel like homework and you're like, oh, I, I'm reading, I have to read through this? Or was it just like, oh my gosh, I had no memory of this or this is really interesting or, oh, hey, Well, yeah,
0: there was some, I mean, I think that's one of the things that made it possible for me to finish it is that I went back and I read it and I was just like, oh man, I like this. Therefore I should finish it. You know what I mean? Like I enjoyed the stuff that I had written. That stuff is pretty good. I should finish this story because it deserves it. You know what I mean? Like this stuff is, is fun. So I should keep going and, um. Yeah, there were parts that I didn't remember very well, but, you know, that was the point of rereading it. I I think there's a lot of stories now that I don't remember very well because I wrote them years and years ago. It's weird to think of that. I'm really freaking old now, man. I can't believe it. You were mentioning an email. You were looking through old emails and you mentioned that you found an email sent in, what was it, 2014, where I said, five-year goal, and I was like, oh, jeez. That's when I started into that whole five year thing on the ankle cast because i turned 40 that year and I'm almost I'm getting really close to 50 now, man. That was a long time ago. <laughs> that sucks.
1: Well, 50 is the new 40, man.
0: Oh, good. That's that's when I should start trying to be a real writer is what you're saying.
1: <laughs> well, you should start tomorrow. Oh, no matter when it is, you should start tomorrow.
0: Okay. That's a good procrastination thing. I will always start tomorrow. It <laughs> Not is, <today>. yeah. <laughs> you mean I should start today? Why
1: put off today what you can put off tomorrow? That's right. I shouldn't have said it that way. I should have said today, but for you it's late late at night, so I just felt like,
0: okay, come on. It is tomorrow already for me, so <laughs> Yeah.
1: We've been talking so long, it's tomorrow for me as well. Oh, crap.
0: (laughs) I gotta go to bed. Oh, my gosh. Well, I wanted to
1: have you on my show just because it seems like it had been so long since we did this. And maybe it hasn't. But uh, it was something that we did all the time. It was just one of the things that we did. It was what are some of your pastimes and podcasting was something that we did you know we didn't even think about it it was part of our routine yeah and now it's it's not something that we do together and so I just yeah I wanted to try it again I wanted to do it
0: yeah and it was fun it feels it's like riding a bike (laughs) you always remember how and we're, we're, we're the same as always, we, we start talking about your story, and the next thing you know, we're on this long tangent about uh, beer commercials, and insurance commercials, and insurance taglines, and etc. Uh, just as always.
1: Well, I hope that people were happy to hear that return, because that is definitely something that we were all about, and in almost every single episode, we would get off on a tangent and then be like, how did we get onto this? Oh, shoot. Sorry, folks. And so uh, somebody out there has to have been happy to hear us back together. We, we got the band back together for one <laughs>
0: night only. That's right. It'll never, ever, ever happen again, damn it. What was it? It was the Eagles that said when hell freezes over, right? They did, yeah. <laughs> And then they had their hell froze over tour or whatever. <laughs> yep.
1: And they made a ton of money off of that. And uh Yeah. I don't think we went as far as to oh, you just did. You just <laughs> said when Hell Freezes over. So you you know when to expect the next reunion, the Steep reunion. Yeah,
0: next week. <laughs> no we'll do a reunion tour when we make a ton of money i'll be all for it i'll tell you that much
1: yeah that's that's a good point Uh, you can always uh donate you can always support uh, me on patreon and let people know that you do want us to continue or that the temperature in hell is going down (laughs) very very quickly global cooling And I will be much more uh, willing to bug big to do this again if people say that they really want it. It, it, Did you get everything said that you wanted said? Was there
0: there more? I only got the first few questions on my list. The list was uh, 79 questions. So I think we're going to have to do (laughs) a part two later. So, uh, I'll just keep this here. Let me just fold it up. Put it in my pocket. Okay. I'll save that for for when hell freezes over <laughs> all right, folks. It's been great to be here. I'll see you next time. <laughs> Thanks for having me out, Ridge outfield. I love it here at the outcast. It's so much prettier here than it is on on the ankle cast. I love what you've done with the place.
1: well we i you know I've had two hundred chances to get it right. <laughs> Well, hey, thank you again. And thank you, folks, for listening all the way through to the end, as we say every week or month or year now.
0: That's it. I have been Rich Outfield. And I've been Big Eglevich. Good night. Thank you, Detroit. We'll see you next year. Thank you. Good enough. The music in this
1: episode was created by Kevin McLeod whose shenanigans can be found over at Incompetech.com The Rish Outcast is presented under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives Licence. That license enables you to share the file with anyone, but not to charge for it or alter it. A license to kill, by the way, enables me to kill anyone I please, whenever I please. You judge which is better.
0: Let's just hope they don't expect an encore. Because we're not coming back out. Turn the lights up.
1: Oh, don't you hate that when the audience really wants an encore and then the lights come up and you just hear that disappointed sound? <laughs> I I can't remember. Were we going to have you do a, the voice of a character on there, or we
0: just put it
1: out as is? Uh,
0: I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it seems like the uh, the character that was made for me is the <laughs> the douchebag that tattletales. I could do that guy. <laughs> yeah, if you want to, that's fine. I, I'm sure you probably wrote that when you wrote the story. You just wrote that guy as Big Anklevich, and then <laughs> and then later had to change the name out. <laughs> i didn't it's up to you i don't i don't care I, you can run it as is or if you want to put more work into it you can uh have me do a voice i'm i'm fine with either way well I'm happy to do a voice if you would like it
1: he's only in that one scene so it should be fairly easy for me to highlight those lines and send them to you and so let's just proceed as though you did do the voice of that guy i can't remember his name though
0: yeah me neither I I remember the name of the main character was Oldfield just because uh Yeah. Because A I knew a guy named Oldfield, I knew Steve Oldfield, and B, it's obviously the replacement Outfield. (laughs) But I can't remember the name of that guy. So his name was Diston. (laughs) Diston. What an ugly name. We're okay, we're gonna have to talk about that now. The one thing that I I want, always wondered about is why this guy goes into the story that he tells, because he's he's always trying to be the funny guy, and now he's got to be funny for aliens. He doesn't start off with like I just flew in from Detroit and boy are my arms tired. Any like bad jokes or something, you know? Yeah, he, uh, he just oh. drops straight into the story where you just like he says he's uh, never be, he's been more scared than this once, and then he just goes into this story, and it seems uh, kind of abrupt or something, and I always wanted to know why is it he decides to tell this story? It doesn't try and steer them away to some other topic that'd be more funny or something, but uh, instead, I always wanted to hear him say something like, well, I'm gonna die anyways. I don't care. I'll just do what I feel like, and right now, I but yeah, it uh, it's very different, you know. He's supposed to go up there, tell a, a funny be a, be a comedian, and uh, he winds up telling a very, I guess you could say it's a sad story, or a <laughs> ineffectual story, maybe you know, of a guy not achieving, <laughs> not getting the girl.
1: But, you know, when you you say that, it makes me think that maybe back in 2009, you told me that then and (laughs) that I was going to go in and write, have him tell a couple of jokes that bomb. I distinctly remember you saying that. But now I'm I'm not sure if it was this story or if there is another story where you made that same suggestion. Uh, Yeah, I almost wish that I had that I had had a couple of jokes and that nobody laughs, and he's just like, oh, geez. Shoot, well, I, I, there's a missed opportunity for you.
0: Well, I suppose you could always uh, do some creative editing or something if you uh, really wanted to. But it's too late for the 200th episode. Maybe for the 300th you can do the uh, new version. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, well, let me try it. On the, the third time's the charm. For this stupid joke. Good luck.
0: (laughs) I think it was a a type of email that Hotmail was, and then at some point they changed and they stopped being pop, but all my old email, I'm going to turn off my recording, by the way, because this is not interesting. (laughs)